Good morning, Grace Redeemer. So many familiar faces, as well as so many new faces, which is always awesome. Praising God for the day that he's given us to worship him together as God's people. What a privilege, right? I was just praying with Steve earlier, and I love this guy. Uh, He has just been in encouragement since the first day I've met him, as so many of you, and, and reminding ourselves before the worship service that these moments on Sundays are really glimpses of a greater worship, right? I mean, we really should not be not worshiping during the week, but this is special on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings when we really come with others who we know we can lean on and that we have one great unbreakable bond. And that bond is uh, beyond human. It's divine. And I praise God for opportunities to connect with you guys. This kind of happened by accident. Um, Pastor Peter invited me some um, a couple months ago because the retreat was coming. And uh, I, I was delighted that, that I could join you guys because it's probably been a while. He reminded me, it's been a while, Jake, that, that you've been here. And, uh, uh, you know, Ken Lunt always asks me a question when I come back to worship. He says, so, Jake, have you had another child? Because every time I come back, he keeps saying, you've added one to your family, but I'll let you know we have not. We have five, and uh, the Lord has been really good. Our youngest, Jude, is now just turned three last week, but I would ask for your prayers. God is so good, and I am here to share God's word with you as best as I can. But as always, I feel like these are words unless the Holy Spirit does something to them. And when God's people are praying, you will be blessed. I know you will be blessed today. I want to share from my heart as well as the word. Um, Let's pray together. But I will ask if you could turn to Psalm 90. And I have asked um, that it also be printed uh, on the screen. But if you have a Bible or if you can use your um, the Pew Bibles, I would encourage you to do that just so you can kind of see the whole chapter at once, and I'm going to read it for you. This is God's holy word. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. Verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins. In the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many prayers as we have, I'm sorry, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And finally, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I'm so glad that the theme of the reflection was on grace because there are many times in this chapter where the word favor is used. You recognize that? Favor is like an Old Testament grace, right? And it's a good word for us to use even in our prayers. And uh, I, I hope the Lord will bless us. Let's just bow together for a minute, okay? Our gracious God, we thank you that you are here with us. Without you, we have nothing. And Lord, uh, apart from you, we are nothing. Lord, we depend on you day after day after day. Lord, my prayer is that you would give us a deeper dependence, even as a result of being camped around your word through Psalm 90 today. Lord, I ask that you will cover me and please protect your holy words that I wouldn't leave any smudge marks on the pages of your beautiful words. And Lord, that um, you would give every single one of us eyes to see your son, Jesus. That is the prayer I pray for my own heart and everyone in here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 90 is, um, happens to be a, a psalm I go to often. Um, I, I do love it, never really understood it as a kid, but over the years, God has blessed the understanding and learning from it. And some of the, the thoughts I have, you, you may not even completely agree with, but let's allow the Holy Spirit to use it. Um, Steve was telling me that the Psalms happened to be his favorite book, mine too. I grew up learning theology from the Psalms because I think everything is in here in one way or another. And Psalm 90, if you look in your own Bibles, Right, You can tell immediately who the author is because it's one of the psalmists that you don't normally see up there. Usually it's David or Asaph or some of those names. Right, But look at the, the title, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. This is a psalm of Moses, the, uh, the, the great rescuer of God's people from Egypt. And, and this is a, a glimpse into the prayer that's happening of uh, God's servant Moses. And if I could give you a word, right, this, I have to always do this at my house to make God make sense, bring it down to their level. Think of one great word for this psalm, and, uh, and think of the, this word, dependence, dependence on God. And if I even just at the outset ask you, you know, do you feel like you are dependent on God? Almost everyone in here would say yes. But if I said, are you totally completely dependent on him today as it was the first day or in your most difficult day? Are you dependent on him, you know, for, for all of life and the future? That's the kind of dependence that we as Christians are asked to have. And th this prayer kind of unfolds that. Um, this is kind of the time between, well, not between, but around the days of Father's Day and Mother's Day, Right? So my title for this message is actually The Legacy That Matters, because I wanted to ask all of you, or parents, grandparents, but even young people, you know,
think about your legacy. Think about what you kind of leave behind for others. A few weeks ago, it was Mother's Day, and my mom, as many of you know, she, had been, she has been struggling with cancer. Um, I encourage her to go and visit her sister over in India, and she's there right now. She had enough health to be able to travel, and uh, she's got to visit her older sister, and I missed her on Mother's Day, but I was thinking about all that my mom has meant to me, especially in the faith. And then just last week was Father's Day, and I totally missed being with my children because I was in Atlanta. And all day I was thinking of, what do I leave for them? What am I leaving for them? Am I leaving merely things? Am I leaving merely uh, experiences of, you know, uh, negative experiences? Am I leaving them something that matters? And Psalm 90 hits that dependence. I want you to think of your legacy and the dependence on God. When I was a senior in college, I was in downtown Manhattan. I was interning already at a wonderful bank in the World Trade Center. So that seems like a lifetime ago now. But um, one evening in my last semester of college, I was in downtown New York City, and I get a call from my dad. He never calls me during the weekdays. You know, I usually come home to Teaneck. Or, uh, you know, we get a chance to, to, to talk on the weekends mainly. But this is unusual. On a, on a weekday e- afternoon, he calls me out of the blue. I'm picking up the phone, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. It's uh, senior year, and he wants to know. So what's happening next, right? And I'm kind of dreading and kind of thinking, well, I feel my heart pulled in different ways, right? I was, very, I was very involved with a campus ministry called the Navigators, which were influential in discipling me. And yet there's this life, life that kind of I was interning at and I was mesmerized by and thinking about a life I could have, right? A very kind of successful, worldly successful life I could, could have. And I was wrestling, and my dad, this is all he said. He said, I want you to turn to 3 John. And you know, as many of you know, 3 John is just one, <laughs> one page. It's just one chapter. And he said, I want you to get your Bible. Go ahead, do it. Get your Bible is what he said. I got it, and he said, read verse 4 out loud. And this is what it says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I said, so, Dad, what does that mean? He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Don't worry. Don't worry about money, although you need it. Don't worry about all those other things. But this is the greatest thing that I want for you. And it was freeing. That phone call, unexpected, in my senior year was freeing. Psalm 90 begins, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I said this is a, uh, you know, a glimpse into the prayer of Moses, right? And, and um, you, you, that might sound wonderful, right? The, that Moses is uttering these wonderful words of affirmation until... According to many commentators and scholars, you kind of look back at the context. And if you would allow me, I, I'm, I'm not a scholar, but if this could be part of the picture behind these words in this prayer, wow. Here's the context. Moses had lost his patience with 
a fickle people, right? You know the Israelites and what they were like, complaining. Um, they taunted him at times for water, for food. And this time he was being taunted for lack of water. And what did Moses do? He hit the rock, not once, but twice, right? Can you imagine a little bit of uh, anger maybe or, or frustration with these people who are constantly up, down, up, down, up, down, Faithful, not faithful. The water gushes out. And what is Moses probably thinking in his mind? Here you go. Drink until you drown. Right? As he's thinking about these people, about all the complaints, even after God has shown them so much kindness and mercy. Go ahead. You want water? Here's water. Drink it. (laughs) Like out of a fire hydrant until you can't take it anymore. And then comes the voice of God. Because you did not trust in me enough, Numbers 20, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Wow. So Moses leads this massive, homeless, crazy crowd, puts up with all this stuff, and he loses his temper And goes against what God asked him to do faithfully. And the voice of God comes and says, you will not bring the community into the land I will give them. What is he thinking? What? Didn't trust you? That's not fair. Yes, I I may have been wrong to hit the rock, but that doesn't warrant such a harsh punishment like this. These people drove me to it. Don't we say that sometimes? She drove me to that. They drove me to that. That's like a daily thing at my house, you know? But the Lord does not relent. Moses was not going to enter the promised land. And although it's a huge disappointment, and we all have disappointments, God doesn't always hand us what we ask for, right? Instead of sulking and wallowing in self-pity, you hear words like this. Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Isn't that a great thing to to, to say to God? Lord, even in the midst of disappointments, you are my dwelling place. And you know what that means, right? It's where you let your hair down. It's where you're home. And Moses uh, recognizes When he says, you have been our dwelling place, he realizes that where God is, he's truly at home. And and it's always been that way for the people of God, right? When Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, or Jacob had to leave Padan Aram, or, or Joseph was sold into Egypt, what did they all learn? God himself is our home. It doesn't matter where we are. Even without houses or land or family or even life itself, nothing without God. Without God, we are not home, but with God, we have everything. It seemed like a cruel lesson for Moses to learn and for the people to learn. And this is kind of what it seems, right? For many of us, one little slip up with a rock and he's kept from the greatest thing he was looking forward to, which was to enter into the promised land. Do you know that during that time period, a million people died in the desert? Do you remember that? Listen, they started out from Egypt and a million people died in the desert that didn't enter into the promised land. And some of the reasons, listen to this, they refused 
to fight what seemed to be an obviously stronger enemy. God says, go do this. I'll be with you. Don't worry. They say, no, the enemy's too big. Obviously, look, the enemy's too big. And God says, you did not trust me. Or on another occasion, about 14,700 Israelites were instantly killed because they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. What does this all kind of do? Look at verse 3 and 4. You to return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Listen, the Lord is the judge of all his people. The Lord is the judge. He's in control, not you. You don't decide. He decides. Have you come to that point where you've really submitted God to do what he wants to do in your life? Or do we always pray, Lord, I love you, but this is what I want and when I want it and with whom I want it. Right? Don't we pray like that? And Moses recognizes, listen, we return to dust because he says, return, O children of man, and a thousand years like a watch in the night. Verse 5 and 7. Five to seven. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass. In the morning it flourishes, in the evening it fades and withers, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. Moses recognizes that this is a holy God who is the great judge of all the earth, and he's severe with his people, but you know what he also recognizes? That God is the judge of all the earth, including those who are God's enemies, including those who are against his people. Do you recognize what had just happened to the Egyptians? Moses and the people had just watched the great Pharaoh and all the warriors of Egypt being swept away, swept away, right, under the waters. uh, and, And Moses sees these words, you sweep them away as with a flood. So the truth is that whether they are his own people or whether they are the enemies of God's people, the Lord is the judge over all of them. He is the judge over all the earth. And in verse 8, we come to something amazing. If you have your Bibles, right, your own Bibles, don't do this in the pew Bibles. If you have your own Bibles, highlight verse 8, right? Uh, Highlight it. This is, this is such a great uh, one for us to kind of hang Moses' thoughts on. Why was God so full of wrath? Why is he so ready to destroy thousands of people at a time? And the answer is because there was no such thing as just a mere slip up. There's no such thing as just mere disobedience. All sin is rebellion against a holy, righteous God, right? You have set our iniquities before you, our secret, even our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see me here. You see me once in a while. You see your pastors. But what about our secret sins? This is something we ask our fellow brothers and sisters at at Presbytery, our, our, our fellow pastors and our fellow elders. Listen, we kind of think of sins as those big things, right, that we get caught on and everybody comes to find out about. But what about the things that we let slip under the rug and we just kind of think of as a mere slip up? There is no mere slip up in the, in the face of a holy and righteous God, right? 
Psalm 50, verse 21. It says this, He doesn't even wink at sin because sin is the great enemy. Our secret sins in the light of His presence. Do you remember from the beginning of time? Listen, with Adam and Eve, you can see the effects of sin, right? Because simply by eating a piece of fruit against the will of God, God's curse falls upon all of humanity and the whole earth. The whole earth is cursed because of this slip-up that we call sin. When people grew more wicked, he sweeps every way, everyone away in a great flood except one small family of eight, Moses, I mean Noah's family. When mankind pridefully thinks they can reach the heavens by creating a tower and, and challenge the authority of God, God curses them by dividing their languages the Tower of Babel. And then what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah? Destroyed by the heat of the Lord's anger. Why? Because, listen, as I tell my little ones, sin is utterly serious and dangerous. The other week, we pulled the bunk beds away from the wall to clean up, and I found Eight containers of milk. And the boys were very quick to point out that it was Josephine, their sister. Because every day I say, Josephine, remember to have milk at lunchtime? Yes, Daddy. Oh, Josephine, did you drink milk at lunchtime? Yes, Daddy. They were hiding under the bed. Thankfully, they were still closed and hadn't come out, but... We had to use that moment and say, look, it's not like it was a big mess, but this is wrong because you lied to us. You did. You lied to us. You told us you, you, you drank it at lunch, but you are actually bringing it and hiding it from us. Sin is utterly serious before God. God doesn't see anything funny or slight about it because it's rebellion. And then uh, we see... The results of this sin, look, as the verses continue, uh, Moses uh, uh, goes on in verse 9 and 10 to see, say this. He says, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but full of toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Do you ever wake up in the mornings and you think, Oh, this body, it's creaking, it's aching, it hurts, right? And then there are times it gets worse and you have no choice but to go to the ER. It's a breaking down system because of sin, right? Our years are full of toil and trouble as long as you live in this thing called flesh. It's not going to end until the last day, right? Full of toil and trouble. A few weeks ago, I lost... Uh, one of my closest friends from seminary days. He's only a couple years older than me, leaving behind two little boys, ages three and one, and a young wife. I didn't even know he was sick. He was one of my closest friends in, in graduate school. We used to pray together on Sunday mornings, and all of a sudden a mutual friend calls and tells me, says, Tim is gone. 
and I was heartbroken, and I was thinking about his children and his wife, and I was reminded again, we've got no guarantees as long as we live in this thing called flesh. Our lives are full of toil and trouble. Yeah, it might be 70 or 80 years at best, but all of this comes because of sin and because of the fragility of life. Look, um, I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. But when I was uh, first married, my wife worked at a, a, a children's hospital in Dallas. And uh, when um, there were days in her early days of nursing, she would come home crying because she had just seen something that was just so hard for her to take in the lives of some of these little ones, you know. And one was a little baby with, with, a, with a, a terrible illness called trisomy 18. And this baby was not going to survive. And Jaya comes home, and we're sitting on the couch, and we're just trying to kind of, I'm trying to console her as a new nurse. And, and these are the things that she was saying to me. He said, even at one of the finest children, children's medical centers in the country, even with all the technology, even with all the doctors, life is God. Right? Even with all the things that we have, even with all the money, all the technology, all the, the powers that we could bring, life belongs to God. Our lives are fragile and brief. Even now, our lives belong to the Lord. Listen, the cause of our feebleness and our mortality is sin. Death is because of sin. Without sin, man would have lived forever, but with Sin, our lives are cut short. Do you remember how long Adam lived? Trivia. 930 years. His son Seth lived 912 years. Enosh lived 905 years. The famous Methuselah, right? The man who lived longer than anybody else. Do you remember how long he lived? 969 years. But do you know that that was not abnormal for before, uh, before the flood? Because Jared before him lived 962 years. Mahalalel lived 895 years. Kenan lived 910 years. And Noah, good old Noah, lived 950 years. But because of the disease of sin taking hold of man's life, the span of life begins to shrink from the 600 years of Shem, Noah's son, to Abraham living, do you remember, 175 years. Do you see the, the big jump? Sin has a great effect on us. And now here we are. If we're lucky, 70 or 80 years, but they quickly pass and we fly away because of sin. Verse 4 said this, and I want you to just go back to this for a second. A thousand years in your sight, O God, is as nothing, is as a watch of the night. What is your 70 or 80 years then in God's eyes? If a thousand years is just as a watch of the night and you quickly flies away, what is your 70 or 80 years? What is it made up of that will last, that your children will walk away with and the legacy that you leave? What is, in light of a thousand years in his sight, what were those 40 years in the desert? Nothing. And the Lord is calling us to examine 
and we see Moses' great awe of God in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? I love that. God is as great as the fear that is due him. This is not just a, you know, a little God, a God of many gods in the pantheon. This is the great God above all gods. And Moses recognizes that he existed before the mountains were brought born or before the earth was brought forth he has to be feared and revered as god and moses says in deuteronomy listen to the people be careful not to forget the covenant of the lord your god that he made with you do not make yourselves for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the lord your god has forbidden for the lord your god is a consuming fire a jealous god and moses knows in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That's another one you need to highlight, okay? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses knows that even though Israel had failed the Lord so many times, remember the up, down, up, down, as maybe even we can connect to, he would never forsake them. Steve used the word covenant in his prayers. Do you realize that God has made a promise to his people that he would not forsake them, that he was going to be faithful to his promises and that he could be utterly trusted even to mold for himself a faithful people who will fear him and obey him and ultimately receive his blessing. So Moses begins to pray for you know, not that old generation, the one that died in the desert, but the new generation that was born in the desert and that would enter the promised land. He prays for them. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Listen, this is the key to holiness. The key to holiness is to take seriously the fragility and brevity of this life and if you do that, you would live much differently. If we contemplated hourly life's fleeting character, if you thought every hour how quickly fleeting your life is, you would live in, in a new perspective of God's eternity. If the Lord's people looked back and remembered that sin had deprived an entire generation from seeing the promised land, they might do something differently and guard against it, right? Listen, he's calling us to, to wisdom. Count your days. Recognize that you're not going to be here forever. Recognize that we are called to an utter dependence on God day by day by day, not just for you, but your children and your children's children. Let me tell you something that Matthew Henry, a great Puritan, once said. It goes like this. Godly wisdom is to humbly recognize our own mortality and to submit in a fearful reverence to the Lord's will and judgment, and that in turn leads to the practice of serious godliness. Serious godliness is when we humbly recognize our own mortality and submit in a fearful reverence to the Lord's will and judgment. So this new generation in the desert, they bury their fathers, and they are people of better hearts of wisdom, and they eagerly look forward to the promised land. So Moses continues to pray in verses 13 to 16. And I'm just going to quickly mention 
He says, Lord, how long? How long, O Lord? Have pity on us. Satisfy us again so we may be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many years as we have seen evil. Lord, return to us good days. Good days. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And verse 17 is the end of Moses' prayer. Would you look at that? He prays for this new generation of people, people with better hearts, with hearts of wisdom. May the favor, you can say grace, may the favor and grace of our Lord, of the Lord our God, rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Isn't that a great prayer? Lord, make the things I do in this life matter. Make the moments I spend in the car teaching my children matter. Make the moments I just sit down with a friend for a cup of coffee matter. Make it last for not just now, but for eternity. Establish the work of our hands. Which one of you wants to look back on your life of work and say, what was that? Did that matter? Did that do anything? Is God using it? Oh, Lord, may your favor rest on us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Listen, three very, very quick things. Because of sin, our lives are fragile and brief. Because of sin, we die. And there is only one solution to the great problem of sin because it's not just a mere slip up. It's not just mere disobedience. It is cutting you off from the favor of God. And there is only one solution and that solution is the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What I want for my children, what I want for my loved ones, my friends, my church communities, is that we point people to the one solution of how we can depend on a faithful God, and that is only through the blood of Jesus. Sin is not a small thing. It is not a small thing. No matter what you hear on the news, don't agree with it. Sin is against a holy God. There's one way to come out of that is by leaning on Jesus. I'm telling you. I know I'm over time, but i, I got to share this last thing and then we'll sing. So I told Josephine, I said, Joe, what if your older brother EJ says, you know what, Dad? Don't punish Joe. Punish me instead. I said, Joe, what, what, if, what if EJ came and said, you know what? Josephine did this wrong thing. I know she's got to get punished, but punish me instead. And you know immediately what she said? Dad, he would never do that. <laughs> I said, you're right. He wouldn't. But imagine. And you know what she said? In all sincerity, she looked at me and, me and she said, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would the great God of gods do that? Take your place because of love.
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, Grace Redeemer, right? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning, for letting us get a look into the eyes, to the heart of Moses, your servant. And I pray, Father, that we would also have the heart that says you are our home. No matter what happens, you are our dwelling place for all generations and we depend on you and you alone. Lord, make us dependent on you. Make us fall at your feet for mercy and thank you that in Jesus you have given us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's in his name we pray.